commissioners appointed Kenneth Gregory, who's been the interim chief for six months as a new leader. The 70-year-old is the department's 10th chief and first person of color to lead the St. Louis region's second largest police agency. He has worked in the department for over 40 years and has led several departments. We also know, of course, that that particular uh, department uh, has been rife uh, with racism, actually, in the whole St. Louis region. So there you go. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics, music, and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraj Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. nightmare. A white deputy is being sued for years of alleged racist insults, name calling towards black subordinates, and the first black sheriff in history of Wyoming has had enough. There he is. His name is Aaron Epelites. He was hired back in February 2021. That's the white deputy he fired. All right. Now, why did he fire this white deputy? Let's go back to the deputy he fired. Okay. This guy had so many complaints against him for being racist against subordinates, insulting them, name calling. All right. Um, this has been extreme. The white deputy is a former Albany County Patrol Sergeant Christian Hanley who is being sued by Corporal Jamin Johnson, who quit in 2017 after years of dealing with the alleged racist remarks from Hanley. According to the AP, the Associated Press, uh, there was an alleged incident where the officer, the white male, Hanley, was driving past Johnson's home, his home now, and 
as Johnson was leaving his house with his wife and kids, Deputy Hanley yelled out the N-word. Uh, that's according to the official report. The lawsuit says Hanley later apologized for the incident because he didn't realize his family was there. I am so sorry. I did not realize your family. I, that's so sorry. Um, even if his family wasn't there, the alleged race, uh, racist comments are still racist. You see how that works? They're racist no matter who's there. Uh, doesn't matter if Johnson's family was there or not. Johnson is suing Hanley and is seeking damages for the years of racism he allegedly had to deal with. Hanley used racial slurs to refer not only to Johnson, but to black citizens he came in contact with on the job, including four University of Wyoming students who were in a vehicle he once pulled over, according to Johnson's lawsuit against Hanley, filed January 18th in the U.S. Supreme Court in Cheyenne. The suit did not provide the reason for the stop. All of the alleged racist incidents against Johnson took place years before the new sheriff of Albany County, who was not aware of what was going on until shortly after he was brought to the job. But he has made some changes to ensure incidents like this do not occur again, according to the AP. Hanley's racial insults went much farther than just calling Johnson the N-word. Allegedly, Hanley told Johnson that being intimate with a black woman would be degrading. Internal investigations found that Hanley's racism was well known and would lead him getting promotion and preferential treatment over Johnson, who was more experienced. Damn. That's what it gets you in the workplace. All right. Hanley began subjecting Johnson to overt and abhor racism when they were both deputies from 2011 to 2014 and Johnson was the department's only black officer, the lawsuit alleges. Hanley nonetheless climbed the ranks in the sheriff's office, becoming part of the department's old boys club and a trusted voice in personal decisions, the lawsuit claims. Soon after being promoted to patrol sergeant, Hanley wrote a performance review accusing Johnson of engaging in several forms of misconduct over the previous year, which meant that Hanley was taking notes on Johnson and decided to unleash pent-up racism after becoming his boss, according to the lawsuit. Hanley also wrote several other sham disciplinary actions against Johnson, all designed to force his resignation, according to the lawsuit. Let's put up the picture of the brother that is the worst nightmare of a racist cop. I mean, look, that brother got dreads, he's comfortable in his skin, and he didn't play that game. Wise leadership matters, brother. You agree? Absolutely. Uh, this is the antithesis of what we saw down in Gwinnett County, your neck of the woods, yep. uh, Dr. Rich. Um, and, you know, first of all, can we please revisit? I did call him a racial slur, but I didn't mean to do it in front of his wife and kids. <laughs> right, that was his excuse. <laughs> <laughs> and to him, that was a very valid excuse, right? That's That's just... That's just incredible. And another thing that struck me, Dr. Richie, is like, you know how racist you got to be to hate black people in Wyoming? There's like three of us up there. Like, damn. You like I didn't think of that, brother. You know what I mean? Like, some, like, sometimes I think about places like Mississippi where there are a lot of black people and white and black people are living within close proximity of each other. And 
think to yourself, ah, you know, familiarity can sometimes breed contempt. You kind of understand it, but like, bro, like, you don't have to deal with black people. Yeah. And your limited interactions with them just not just such deep rooted, deep seated hate. It's it's just craziness. And it literally took a new sheriff to get rid of him when it was well known that he was a racist cop. My doctor requires no shot and killed a mentally disturbed man here's the video
negotiations with Estep aimed at convincing him to surrender. That's according to their report. They continue to do this for how many minutes? 30. I mean, they wasted a whole 30 minutes, yeah? I mean, that that obviously was just a complete waste of their time. They should have stayed out there all day with him. Whatever it takes to save a life. Let's put the humanity back in this. Don't let them take the humanity out of things like this. Don't allow them to make you believe that, oh, no, it was no other choice. You know how many times cops have been in that situation, in particular with white men and white women, where they were apprehended and not killed? You can do a simple YouTube search. It's all over YouTube. They took them in. They got them the help they needed, okay? In this case, they decided to kill them. Uh, at one point, the man appears to adjust his stance and reach for what is later identified as a metal uh, cylindrical object at his waist. Now, why is that important? That's important because when the initial report came out, they said, oh, he had this metal thing. It was um, cylindrical. It was uh, it was the box cutter that the trooper already saw. That's what it was. He already saw it. He identified it. He told the other cop he had the box cutter. Okay? So he pulls the box cutter. It looks to be a suicide by cop, but there's no gun. He has a mental health crisis. He's going through a mental health crisis. All right? There's no one trained to deal with a mental health crisis at the scene. You got random-ass cops pulling over, pointing the gun at the man. What happens when social workers coordinate with law enforcement? What happens? Alex Vitel, coordinator of the Police and Social Justice Project at Brooklyn College, said, the appeal is clear. In places where the idea has been tried, talking about social workers, professional staff members, mental health workers responding to these incidents with police officers, Alex said, it is clear. Where this has, this has been tried, the outcome has been, and I quote, fewer ER visits, which are extremely expensive, fewer jailings, which are even more expensive, and fewer police interventions which come with a huge risk of force. You have police agencies across the country. They are starting to hire full departments dedicated to proper response to mental health crises. Gwinnett County, City of Atlanta, Ithaca, New York, and others, they've already done so. What did this department do? None of that. Man is dead. Boss, what are your thoughts on this one? Man, I think there's certain segments we do on the show. I don't even think our analysis is even needed. You can roll the tape on that for anybody with any type of sense, and they'll tell you that was completely <laughs> a horrible outcome, and everybody involved needs to be reprimanded and, you know, brought to account for this. Because, like you said, man, nine cops, all with guns, one guy with a box cutter. I, like... You know, and the justification is always, man, I feared for my life. Y'all need to stop hiring scared-ass cops. Like, how scared do you need to be of a guy with a box cutter if you got a gun, if yeah. you're supposed to be some well-trained public servant? This is just horrible. It's a tragedy. Yeah, and you have non-lethal ways to handle things like this. But here's what's interesting. When you look at that video, you hear distinctly two gunshots that happened after all of these gunshots, right? The person who fired those last two gunshots, can that person say, you know what, I was in fear for my life? It's ridiculous when you look at this video. It's insane. We have to bring the humanity back to public service. Cops are not Rambo. They are damn public servants. They get paid to serve. Our money funds them. All right.
father was killed during a custody exchange outside of the police station. Let me give you some background to this story. According to WGBR, a 33-year-old father, Stuart D. Jeffries, was gone down by his ex-wife's new boyfriend last week. This was at a Virginia police station. Jeffries, let's put his picture up. Mr. Jeffries, who had gone to drop off his eight-year-old daughter, was killed in front of her in the parking lot during the custody exchange. The Chesterfield Police Department confirmed that Jeffries was shot Sunday evening in the parking lot of the Appomattox Police Station, 2920 West 100 Road. The incident took place at around 6.30 p.m. last week on January 16th. Jeffries was dropping his daughter off after spending the weekend with her. That's according to the statement from the police department. Now, I bring this to your attention for a very specific reason. We'll get into that in a minute. A family member of Jeffries posted about this senseless shooting on Facebook and said, and I quote, Cubs shot and killed trying to be a good father. There are so many unnecessary killings going on in our community. We have so many so-called wannabe gangsters that would kill someone over stupid mess. Everyone is walking around with a gun trying to prove they ain't soft. I myself was guilty of this stupidity. Killing someone doesn't make you a man, but walking away does. The killer has been identified as a 44-year-old man named Corey D. Goodson Sr. Goodson was arrested at the scene. He has been charged with second-degree murder and the use of a firearm in the commission of a felony. Two parties met to complete a child custody exchange. This was in the parking lot at the station. It was confirmed by Chesterfield Police in an email. At the time of the exchange, there was an on-duty officer working his patrol vehicle in the station parking lot. The officer was facing away where the custody exchange was occurring. Okay? So, let me break it down this way. There's an eight-year-old daughter, an eight-year-old child, who has seen her father killed in front of her. The father did the very responsible thing and made sure the exchange took place at a police station for protection in case anything went bad. Things went as bad as they could go. Okay? This story is still developing. But here's what has to happen. Naturally, the man who did this, the monster who did this, has been arrested. He's in jail. He will likely never get out. But there's an eight-year-old daughter. There's a child who no longer has a biological father. But it speaks to a larger dynamic. The larger dynamic is me and you, us, doing what we have to do in order to be examples and to mentor others around us. You know, I hear people say all the time, and I looked at the social media posts 
around this story where people are saying this generation is lost. These young people are lost. These people are lost. Think about this. Anytime you say a generation is lost, you are indicting yourself. If I say my cell phone is lost or my keys are lost, my cell phone didn't lose itself. My keys did not lose itself. I lost them. So anytime we talk about a lost generation, we're the ones who lost them. That means that we are at least in some way indicting ourselves in that statement. And I'm fine with the indictment because we all need to do more. So allow this story, as tragic as it is, as heartbreaking as the reality of this story is, allow it to be a catalyst to motivate you to do more, to be more active, to be more aware, to provide guidance and mentorship to those who need it around you. You know, Dr. King said it perfectly. Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Jackson, what are your thoughts on the story? I think that that's a really, really great great you know way to look at this story and you know everybody can relate you know, as I'm we talked a little bit about this I'm about to turn 30 and now as I enter you know kind of this real stage of my manhood and adulthood I've had enough experience to really understand the importance of what it means to you know stabilize a community give to a community you know the things that people miss growing up you start to understand the impacts when you were just a kid you know, you get caught up in a lot of things, just looking for acceptance, just trying to make sense out of life. But, you know, as you get older, you start to see the importance of really, really giving back to communities where people may not even have the chance to make it to see 30, 40. Is this young man, you know, who was only a couple years older than me, lost his life yeah. just trying to make an exchange. And a lot of that just goes back to the everyday lifestyles that people have to live. And so, you know, as people like ourselves get to break out and, you know, someone like you, it's honored and respected uh, by people across the board for the work that you do. It's a great inspiration for people to do the same because, you know, a lot of people, you know, people like to think that they're so self-made and they made it out of the struggle. But when you really look at things, they probably had you know, some good leadership somewhere. If it wasn't directly right. in the house, they had some type of leadership. They had somebody they could lean on when things really, really got bad enough. And that's really ultimately what makes the difference. And that's what we can be for each other and for people in these communities who don't have a way out like we can. So, so well said, brother. I had to challenge someone on my radio show who tried to use my life as an example of, well, if you can do it, anyone can do it. Well, I benefited from three primary things that have to be highlighted. Number one, I benefited from a progressive policy. Number two, I benefited from that progressive policy allowing me to seek higher education. And number three, I benefited from mentorship inside of a faith-based community. Those three elements changed my life. Because of those three things, I fight for those for the for the sake of others who are in situations uh, similar to the situation that I was in as a teenager. Um, so no, you cannot do this by yourself. Uh, it takes mentorship, it takes guidance, and it also takes good policy in combination with that. Drinking water before bed burns forty-six. This is an update. Remember the cop who was about to violate the rights of an arrested citizen? And a good cop stepped in, grabbed him, and then the bad cop decided to choke the good cop. The good cop is a female employee. The bad cop is this veteran 
sergeant. All right. Well, guess what? The police union got involved. And do you think they're taking the side of the good cop or the bad cop? Most of them are cops, right? Let's put up the graphic of when uh, Sergeant Christopher Police choked his fellow officer. This is a veteran police sergeant. This sergeant has been placed on administrative leave, is now under criminal investigation. Sergeant Police, I'm going to give you the background to what happened and the update. This sergeant, armed with mace, was trying to make a suspect already handcuffed, already inside of the police cruiser. This is what happened. This is how it went down. When the female officer saw this, she grabbed the belt of the sergeant and removed the sergeant from the suspect. She has a duty to do that, by the way, because in their state, last year, they passed a law called duty to intervene, which means when you see something that a cop is doing or about to do that is criminal, you will be charged with the crime if you don't stop it. So she has a duty to intervene. She intervened, okay? Uh, let's show the picture of her grabbing the belt. Let's have that picture up again. All right, so she grabs the belt. She does this. Way to go. Hero cop, right? Good person. Way to go. Young cop doing what she has to do, and it's a superior at that. Pepper spray still in one hand. Police grab the female officer by the throat. Then moving his hand to her shoulder, he pushes her against the patrol car. That's what he did. Okay? This is violent. This is a violent attack. There were officers watching this. Did any of them defend their federal, uh, fellow officer? No. Did any of them even stand up and say, Sarge, you got to stop, Sarge? No. Did they flinch? No. They would have allowed that sergeant to go ham on this woman, knowing that she probably just saved all of them from getting a damn charge. You got to think about what her actions have done. This was being recorded. The fact that she intervened has likely stopped the attorney general and the local DA from charging all of the cops who refused to intervene. See how that works? She saved all of them. Story gets deeper. During a Sunrise City Commission meeting on Tuesday, the president of the local fraternal order of police took issue with the recent comments by police chief Anthony Rosa, who called the sergeant's actions disgusting in an interview with Miami Channel 7 News. So literally, the police chief says, here's what happened. Good cop grabbed a bad cop. The bad cop was wrong. The sergeant's actions were disgusting. I'm proud of this good cop. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what the police chief said. And then the head of the police union comes in Put his picture up again. And he decides to go after the chief and the officer who followed the law. It's not about Chief Rose's exclusive interview with Channel 7. It's more about the investigation itself. That's what the president of the Fraternal Order of Police said, Stephen Negron. He's 
in a way, our only juror, this president of the local union said, calling for Chief Rosa to be removed from the investigation. All of a sudden, they don't want an internal investigation. I thought unions, police unions, like internal investigations. Now, what do you see? They only like them when they're going in the direction they're pushing. Here's the other part. This is the police union. Why are they not standing up for the officer who was attacked? You have to ask yourself this question. Are they really for police, or are they for a particular behavior in policing? Because I see two cops. I see a clear good cop and a clear bad cop. The police union, they decided to take the side of the bad cop, and they're going after the good cops who are standing up to the culture of corruption there. You have your jurors stating that the subject person did certain things inappropriate, disgusting, wrong, and in any trial, if you heard that from a juror, you would recuse them immediately. Well, the police chief is not a jury member. The police chief is the police chief, and well within his authority to say what a thing is. We need more people like him. Uh, so the commissioners rejected this request from the union chief, noting that the chief is also being criticized for not acting swiftly enough. Sunrise Mayor, uh, Mayor Michael Ryan even compared the case to the George Floyd murder. When it seemed like a civil discussion was being uh, beginning to wrap up, tensions started to spiral out of control. Now, I don't have the audio, but I have the transcript. Let's put up this first person. All right, this is Commissioner Joseph Swaddle made comments defending the sergeant who attacked the officer, saying the case had been spun in a way that's so ridiculous. This commissioner also reportedly called the suspect that was arrested a piece of mm. That's what he said. The suspect is a piece of mm. And the case has nothing to do with George Floyd. Well, another commissioner spoke up. Let's put his picture up. This brother spoke up. Commissioner Mark Douglas, who is black, responded by asking the former commissioner that spoke if he was blaming the incident on the suspect. I'm sure George Floyd was a piece of it who caused it too, Douglas said sarcastically. What are you defending? Shut up, Zoe. <laughs> the brother told him to shut up. All right, good for him. Don't tell me to shut up, the commissioner responded. Let's put his picture back. Don't tell me to shut up. I'm telling you to shut up, Douglas said. What are you going to do? Uh, he responded, don't tell me to shut up. What do you think you are? Who do you think you are, tough guy? According to Channel 7, the commission quickly took recess after trial. Uh, after that, um, back and forth. And, uh, you know, the internal investigation still happening. <laughs> so... So they got a suit. I really wish I could, you know, play the audio. We don't have the audio, but we got the transcript. Uh, they were close enough to come to blows. Uh, they did not. They did keep telling each other to shut the hell up. All right, Jackson, talk here. Yeah, well, you know, like you said, they have a reputation. Their unchallenged authority is now being challenged more and more and more. And so that just general fear of losing that power is what would drive that. You know, we can't allow these laws to inch further and further because if we are held to account, then we get held more and more, and more to account. But also, you know, just from a professional perspective, this 28-year-old woman is young, 
this is going to shape her her experience and just her psychological standing of the job and how, what she's going to have to deal with. And, and two, from the other perspective, from the other side, my man, like this grown man is just like, ah, like, I can't control myself when I'm angry. Like, well, then maybe, you know, clearly then you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. But it's like, a, a, a no, I can't think of any circumstance where I would just lose control. Like, oh, I just, I just couldn't help myself. I had to put my hands around her throat and slam her against the car. I just, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, this guy's dangerous, and yeah, and you're yeah. defending him. I tell police officers all the time, don't let their uniform change. Yeah. Don't let it change. Under any other circumstance, if those officers did not have on their uniform and they saw a guy like that choking a woman that's basically half the size of the guy, they would have responded. They would have had a natural response to stop it. None of them did. That uniform changes. New developments in the death of a teenage girl whose body was left on the 110 freeway. Her family has pleaded for help to find her killer, and their calls are being, for help are being answered. NBC 4's McCullough did a live in downtown Los Angeles where the DA just spoke. Matt, good morning. Michael, good morning. And because the DA just spoke, we have, we're learning a lot more details about the death of 16-year-old Tioni Fias. And we're also learning that reward money has been increased now, $110,000 for any information leading to uh, information about her murder. And uh, the DA also revealing this tragic update. However, there is evidence indicating that this young girl may have been the victim of human trafficking. Tioni was last seen on January the 7th when she reportedly told her father that she was meeting a friend to go to a party. Again, we need the public's help. Please help bring Tiani's murder to justice. Adia Gascon says Tiani Theus was killed, found shot to death on the southbound 110 freeway at Manchester the day after she was last seen. Her relatives believe friends or potentially people just driving by might have saw something there. Is anyone who knows something to say something? The family also grateful for the reward money from the city, L.A. County, Operation Hope. And just moments ago, the governor's office uh, gave $50,000 for now, a total of $110,000 for any information about her death. They're also hopeful an arrest will be made soon find out who did what they did to her whether it's money involved or not it's important it's important she important just like anybody else and the death has certainly struck a chord not just with her family and the neighborhood the community leaders say it should strike a chord with everyone this was a 16 year old girl potentially trafficked now dead authorities say they are looking for anyone with information that can help them find the murderers we're live in downtown la i'm a comment now back to you what is justice for my cousin? Relatives of 16-year-old Tiani Theus are desperate for answers and action in her case. It's been over two weeks since passing drivers spotted the teenager's body along the on-ramp to the 110 freeway in South L.A. Her killer is still out there. And I don't just even believe that it would be justice for Tiani. If it's someone or, or, or someone that is out there that is malicious enough to kill a child and dispose of her body the way that this person did, they're a monster. Tiani had been shot in the neck and especially painful for loved ones how and where her body was disposed. It's outrageous that a young six-year-old child was shot to death, then her body dumped with the garbage as if she was garbage. 
Community activist Najee Ali is helping the family to get answers, noting how quickly they came in the murder of Brianna Kupfer, the 24-year-old UCLA student stabbed to death just days after Tiani's killing. Due to the location, California Highway Patrol is the lead in this investigation. CHP is great in investigating traffic accidents, but as far as murder, that's not the expertise. And that's why the family, along with myself and other leaders, are calling for a multi-agency task force. According to family, Tiani was goofy, fun, and a good student. The night before her body was found, she told her father about plans to meet a friend and go to a party. After a combined reward of $250,000 brought an arrest in less than a week in the Cupfer case, a move today by city and county leaders to line up a combined reward of $60,000 in Tiani's case. Just focusing on the disparity. Of, of treatment and the perception. Black women, black girls, their lives are devalued. It don't mean as much. It's not as newsworthy. And that's totally absurd. Tiani's family is hopeful a reward will lead to an arrest, as it did so quickly in the Cupfer case. We were not envious about that. We are absolutely delighted that they found justice for that young lady. Her life mattered, Tiani's life mattered, and everybody should receive justice. Now today, CHP declined an interview request but said a reward in the case could only help. A funeral service for Tiani is set for this Thursday. Marnie? Nancy, I have a lot of questions for you. First and foremost, traffic cameras, any surveillance in the area that could have provided some evidence as to who did this? There are traffic cameras in that area. However, CHP has released nothing, so we wonder whether a suspect or a vehicle is not in any of the surveillance images. But in this case, we have not heard a suspect description. We have not heard a vehicle description. There seems to be no surveillance in this case. So unlike the Cupfer case, there's nothing for the public to kind of jump in and help in solving Tiani's murder. Yeah, it gives people very little information to go on, hardly any. Nancy, Tiani was upset in her last conversation with her dad, according to family members who are close uh, to the family. Do you know why she was upset? Yeah, we are hearing from relatives that she had started to hang with kind of new friends, a new crowd, that people that they didn't know. And I'm told by the, her cousin that three years ago, her mom was involved in a hit-and-run accident and had been hospitalized and remains in rehabilitation, Tiani was the one to go to the scene and see her mother injured, and she's been traumatized since. So her life has just taken a turn since that fateful day and not having her mother around, and it's just been a, a string of just new friends that her family didn't know. But we also know that she had a bright future. She had a lot of things going for her. What have they shared with you about uh, who she was? She's goofy and funny, and it sounded like, you know, she often tripped on her own feet. Um, but because of her mother's condition, her hospitalization, the rehabilitation, she was kind of, kind of inspired to become a nurse and, you know, to go into hospice care, to care for people. And so... They said, you know, she had a bright future. She was inspired to do things, to become something. So she was on a path until apparently recently. So a lot of her, you know, new acquaintances 
Again, her family did not know. Yeah, I had read she was a straight-A student. She loved to play golf as well. Nancy, we do know as we speak, uh, they are debating uh, the reward and increasing that reward in this case um, in information that will lead to answers in Tiani's case. So we're going to follow that closely. The other thing, um, there is a press conference planned for tomorrow. What are you hearing about that? Yes, so just within the hour, the L.A. County D.A., George Gascon, announced a news conference for tomorrow morning pleading for community help to solve Tiani's murder. And I understand that the California Highway Patrol will be part of that news and, uh, conference, and hopefully we might get more information about the investigation. It seems like it is active and it seems like CHP did not want to compromise the investigation and did not want to release any further information. All right, Nancy, we will stay on it. And for you at home, if you have any information that can help in this case, you are asked to contact local police in that area. The number on your screen, California Highway Patrol leading the investigation, but the DA's office and county council members in Los Angeles also involved in this case. Uh, let's try to get as many answers as we can. And again, a press conference scheduled for tomorrow in her death. Thanks for watching.